You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. This morning's scripture will be from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. I'll be reading from the NIV. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In anger, Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Brady Richards. I'm one of the elders here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. Thank you for being with us today and for watching our virtual service. We are nearing a year of virtual services, and I wanted to just say Thank you for hanging in there with us. This is not the way we want to be meeting and sharing in worship. Uh, You know, each week I am saddened that I don't get to see all of your faces in the hall at MIC and to hear your voices worshiping our Lord together in one voice and being in physical community. The elders and staff are looking at ways to bring things to a more live streamed setting soon where we can be together on a call, 
But until then, thank you for all that you're doing to continue in community and study of God's word and in life with Christ and the body. Would you pray with me now as we start to dig into God's word? Lord, you are our God and we are but the people of your pasture, the sheep in your hand. Lord, we come to you today knowing that we are, um, we are just but broken vessels, clay in your hands. And as we come to you, we, we ask that you would mold us and shape us through your word that you would um, be our God, that we would call you Lord, and that we would not harden ourselves to your word and listen to what you have to say to, to us. Would you speak through your word today, through your spirit? Would you have my words be a, a balm, not because my words are nice, but because your words are true? Lord, if there's anything false in what I have to say, I ask that it would fall away. Open our ears, our hearts, and our spirit to receive your word this morning. It's by your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One vivid memory I have of growing up in rural Tennessee is that the summers were hot and humid. My family would often find ourselves swimming in our above-ground pool, maybe even hosting a dinner on the pool's deck or playing volleyball just behind to help cool down and pass the days by. On the off chance that I would get some time alone in the pool, I would slowly sink down to the bottom so I could open up my eyes to look up at the sky through the water. The color became so diluted by the water Rays of light would pierce through, but they were dimmed and faded. The voices and laughs of my family members were muffled, and I couldn't quite make out what they were saying. Eventually, I would run out of breath and come back to the surface, maybe go rejoin my family in the party and my, with my wet shorts and t-shirt, and definitely my dry family members did not want me to give them a hug because of those clinging wet clothes. I, I do miss those summer days, especially after the recent winter storms. I know that with the weather and this pandemic, I know many of us feel cooped up. On top of that, maybe you're drowning in work, rolling about with the continuous changes during this season. Or maybe you're just saddened by the state of our world, our country, and the sin all around us. Our text today has so much to say about why the state of our world is where it is and how we as believers are to respond. I hope and pray that it will encourage and admonish you. We are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians today with chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. 
prior to this text in chapters 1 through 3, Paul has a doctrinal focus of Christianity where he lays out a treatise on the salvific work of God and who we are in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not a result of our own doing. Through His gracious gospel, we were created to be His workmanship, a workmanship that through the church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. And as we saw two weeks ago in chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, Paul shifts his attention to the ethical focus of Christianity, the being who we are, a community of Christ from all nations and walks of life built together into one people walking in unity, holiness, love, light, and wisdom, all in His Spirit. Grace and godliness, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, doctrine and duty, faith and works, they truly cannot be separated in the Christian life. Last week, in verses 7 through 16, Paul speaks of a gospel-advancing church that is united in diversity, gifted in responsibility, mobilized to ministry, growing in maturity, and humble in orthodoxy. Through Christ, we are twice graced with salvation and giftedness for ministry. He gave his multifaceted body the different gifts to build up the body, of Christ through love into a fully functioning being with Him as its head. And now, here we start seeing the practical outworking of what that exactly looks like. Here in verses 17 through 24, Paul warns the Ephesians to look, remember, and change. Paul lays bare the core gospel truth that through faith in Christ, the church is supposed to be distinct from the world. They have died with Christ and are risen anew with Him. They have put off the old self and put on the new. They are called upon to abandon the corruption of the old life and live out the new life for the glory of God and the unity of the church. Many Bible commentators break this passage up into two sections, putting off in verses 17 through 19 and putting on in verses 20 through 24. But through study and prayer, I see Paul giving his readers three important commands. Three important commands. One, to look solemnly at who they once were. Two, to remember the way they learned Christ. And three, to change the way they walk forward. To look solemnly at who they once were, to remember the way they learned Christ, and to change the way they walk forward. I'm so grateful for Tammy Scholl reading our passage today. Thank you, Tammy. But now let's dig back in and see how Paul commands the reader to look solemnly at who they once were. Verses 17 through 19 in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Now I say and testify in the Lord 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul starts with, now this I say and testify in the Lord. It's a transitional phrase from what has been said to what he will say. And he doesn't just say them, but he testifies them in the Lord. Paul urges them with the authority of God. And it's kind of funny that it's translated testify because Paul's very life, his own conversion and missionary work to the Ephesians in Acts 19 would in fact testify to these things. Paul says, because of the Ephesians' unity in Christ, their togetherness as a body and love, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is the negative of chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So after the large sweeping doctrinal treatise on the salvific working of God and the church body, he says, you. The you here is singular. Me, Brady Richards. That Brady Richards must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer implies that it is our path without Christ. We know this road. It is the road I was walking down, and now I must stop walking down it. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walking here is active. You won't just find yourself walking without putting your energy into it. And maybe unless you're a sleepwalker. And it's the same with not walking or no longer walking. It takes effort and action to stop walking or to stop doing anything for that matter. Here's a test, a little test for you. Don't think of a pink walrus. Don't think of a pink walrus. And what's the first thing your mind wants to do when I say that? It wants to think of a pink walrus. You have to force yourself and make yourself not do it. And thus, it is the same idea with no longer walking. It takes effort. It takes an action. But here, walk is more akin to living. And we see this constant imagery of walking equaling our lives throughout Scripture. Some examples being even in the same book, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, um, or other Paul letters, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, or Galatians 5, 16. Life. Walking is life, and life is so much more than walking. It is the full context of a human being. It's the thoughts, the behaviors, the beliefs, the attitudes, and the actions of a person. And Gentiles, 
means anyone who is not a follower of Christ Jesus. We know this because the Ephesians themselves were Gentiles. So he's not talking about the Ephesians here when he talks about Gentiles, but unbelievers. So Paul starts this whole passage off by saying, you, Brady Richards, are to no longer actively live in all of your thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, and attitudes the way unbelievers do. What a monumental task. So, in what ways did the Gentiles walk? In what way am I not supposed to walk? In verses 17 through 19, Paul urges them to look solemnly at who they once were by piecing together three distinct attributes, three distinct attributes of the Gentile, their thoughts, their hearts, and their actions. Their thoughts, their hearts, and their actions. So in what ways did the Gentiles walk? In their thoughts. Go back to verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Paul hearkens to Romans 1 verses 21 through 32 where the unbeliever became futile in their thinking. Their thinking was a path that led towards futility or nothingness meaninglessness, and the dead ways of the world. Remember in Ephesians 2, verses 2 through 3, where Paul says, We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The mind, one's thoughts, lead to the actions and natures of this world which lead to death, disobedience, and wrath. Back to Ephesians 4 verse 18 where Paul expands on this futility saying, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The Gentiles are darkened in their understanding because their thinking doesn't seek to account for God or consider him something of which to be knowledgeable. Their thoughts are darkened or clouded. Thus, they are alienated from the life of God. They are excluded from the life that comes from God. Burton says this life is the supernatural life belonging to God and Christ, which the believers will receive in the future, but which they also enjoy here and now. So why are they excluded from this life? Because of the ignorance that is in them. They don't seek God because their thoughts don't even account for him. Thus, they are not understanding of his ways, nor can they be understanding of his ways and the life found in him and his spirit? So in their thoughts, they are darkened to the ways of life in the spirit. Thus, the Ephesians are not to think like the Gentiles. In what ways did the Ephesians walk? Not just in their thoughts, but also in their 
hearts. Finishing out verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to a hardness of their heart. So it is not just a mind issue, but it's ultimately a heart issue that leads their thoughts. Now the mind and the heart are hard to separate here. But where the mind is darkened into understanding and deceitful thoughts, the heart is stubborn and refusing to change. So it's, it's not the thoughts themselves that refuse, but the heart that refuses. Thus, it continues to become hardened. It's like with Pharaoh in Exodus 8 and 10. The consistent denial by Pharaoh leads to a further hardening and madness, but it's also a work in tandem with the Lord. Pharaoh knew the right thing to do. He was aware, but in his continual refusal, he became increasingly callous towards God, and God gave him over to that callousness. Thus, in their hearts, they are stubborn and cannot receive the revelation of Christ. So the Ephesians are to not have hearts like that towards God. And lastly, what ways did the Gentiles walk? Well, their hearts led their thoughts, and their thoughts led to their actions. Verse 19, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Callous here basically being another word for hardening or numb and insensitive. You know, I know I have calluses right below my fingers from, from working out, and most commonly they seem to grow on people's feet, but the body forms calluses to help with the repeated friction and pain. Similarly, then, the unbeliever is calloused because of the continued friction of the weight and conviction of their actions. They have put away remorse and feelings. They are given to sensuality because they have lost their sensitivity. Sensuality being any type of vice or debauchery, it, it's literally licentiousness or undue freedom or freedom with no boundaries. There, there's a line in The Dark Knight where Alfred says to Bruce Wayne that some men just want to watch the world burn. And it's kind of similar here. Blatant acts with no shame or remorse, sometimes even no thought behind it. Indecency. And the term here, it, it tends to be mostly connected with sexual acts or drunkenness. And, and the Gentiles are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They no longer feel the pain of sin, so they in full measure go after it. They no longer hide it, but flaunt it. They are greedy to practice it. Their hard hearts lead their minds to no longer care, which leads to every kind of action that goes against God. Thus, the Ephesians' actions are not to be against God's command. 
So in their thoughts, in their hearts, and in their actions, basically in their whole being, in the whole of the Ephesians' lives, they are to no longer live like the Gentiles do. And how does this apply today? In all ways, people do not seek God. I think this is something that we all can acknowledge. I think even non-believers could acknowledge this. That there is evil in this world and people do evil things. Throughout history, we have seen the destructive nature of humans non-religious and religious. Whether we look to the examples of world wars, Stalin, the Crusades, slavery, racism, genocide, coups, or whatever instance you choose, it is clear to see that man is capable of many dark things due to Satan and sin. Sin can take root and shape in any form in our lives. And believers are not immune to this if they are not on guard. But what about the opposite? Humans are also made in God's image too, right? This is, this is true. Mankind can do and know many great and good and wondrous things in the common grace of God. But those achievements, those things ultimately fall short without God. Maybe the achievements don't fall short in this life, but they ultimately do. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Because of sin through Adam, we were all like I was laying at the bottom of the pool looking up through the water to a blurred sky, only seeing glimmers of his light, or maybe none at all. Buried beneath the weight of sin, and even slaves to it, we couldn't understand the full glory of God's grace. We were hardened and separated from him and the body of Christ. Now hear this. Humans are equally worthy of respect, honor, love that is due to them in God's image. But without Christ, humans are without hope. We are forever continuing down the path to destruction unless something, really someone, pulls us out of the water and puts us onto dry ground. Paul commands them to look solemnly at who they once were in their thoughts, in their hearts, and in their actions. But Paul isn't done. <laughs> After he commands them to look at who they once were, he tells them to remember the way they learned Christ. To remember the way they learned Christ. Back to verses 20 through 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him. I think it's actually as the truth is in Jesus. Sorry, I have a typo here. Paul here reminds the Ephesians that they have been called to Christ 
through his miraculous unfolding. Just as the Gentiles in the whole of their lives and their thoughts, their hearts, their actions follow the path to futility, we are to follow the path of Christ and so learn him. It is literally to learn him. Not just learn some historical facts about him, but to constantly seek to know him and be taught by him. Through Paul's own witness of Christ and his teaching and schooling of the Ephesians, he reminds them of three things here. Three ways they learned Christ. They heard Christ, they were taught in Christ, and the truth is only found in Christ. They heard Christ, they were taught in Christ, and the truth is only found in Christ. So what does Paul remind them? They heard Christ. Back to verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you've heard about him. Paul breaks his thought with an almost sassy quib, assuming you've heard about him. Paul, in fact, knows the Ephesians heard about Christ because he himself preached the truth of the gospel message to them. Notice, they did not hear Christ's voice directly, but through the proclamation of his gracious word. And this is important because in the Greek, there is actually no uh, preposition about in the sentence. It is literally assuming you heard him. Frank Thielman commenting on this says, the implication is that Christ is alive and that when one hears the gospel preached, as Paul assumes his readers have, one is put in touch with a living person. Think about Paul's own conversion on the Damascus Road. He was continually heading down the path of destruction, literally approving the killing of Christians. He was breathing threats and murder, and without warning or notice, Christ brilliantly appeared before him to speak and change his path forever. Paul himself describes his conversion as a revelation in Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 3. And even though Paul didn't follow Christ physically like the disciples did, he miraculously learned of Christ and heard him. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not a work of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul and the Ephesian salvation was a gracious gift they received through the revelation and the proclamation of God's word. Nothing they could boast in. Paul's ministry and preaching, their hearing Christ, the Ephesians hearing Christ, was only through God's grace. So they heard Christ. Not only had they heard Christ, but they were taught in Christ. Back to verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him. By learning Christ, they first heard his gospel proclaimed and then came to further instruction in him. 
When they heard about Christ from Paul, they welcomed Christ as a living person and were shaped by his teaching. This has the idea of schooling. Paul is calling the believer to a lifelong process of learning Christ through the preaching of his word, the study of his word, being ministered to by the body of believers and following his instruction, among other things. Just like the Gentiles in all of their thoughts, behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes in the whole of their lives, they were futile. We are now to learn Christ, be taught him, meaning that we adjust all of our thoughts, behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes to him. This is why things like church membership and being involved in ethos communities, discipleship, and participating in the full body of Christ are so important. In committed Christian fellowship, we are linking arms together to learn together, to submit to Christ's teaching, to submit to one another, to be accountable to one another and learn Him. They heard Him and they were taught in Him. But why do they even want to hear and learn Him? because the truth is only found in Christ. The truth is only found in Christ. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The Ephesians had not seen Christ nor walked with him, but because they were taught by those that proclaim him and walk in him, they have communion with him because ultimately Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Notice the rarity here that the name of Jesus is separated from the title of Christ. That's because if the Ephesians were taught the truth, they were taught the physical person of Jesus. He is the Word, the truth, made flesh. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth, being in Christ, is truly the gospel itself. Tony Morita says the truth has fingernails and scarred hands. So what's the point of hearing the gospel and being taught in him? Because that is where our ultimate hope lies, the truth of Jesus. If we don't have that, what is there to have? Paul says, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19, But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty. You are still in your sins. If we have put our hope in Christ in this life alone, we are of all people most to be pitied. But we can have hope in the fact that the Jesus we proclaim was a real human being, God, made flesh, who lived a 
spotless life, died on a real cross, was raised in three days, and later ascended to the right hand of the Father until the day he returns in order to save those people walking the path of destruction. All those who have faith in this gospel will be saved. In learning Christ through Paul's own mission to the Ephesians, they heard Christ They were taught in him because the truth is only found in him. Before we move on, for one moment, would you reflect with me on a couple of points, of questions even? How did you hear the gospel? Who was the first person that ever told you the gospel? Maybe you're thinking of your parents, maybe a close friend, or even a pastor at a church you grew up in. Isn't it a grace that you ever heard the gospel of Christ to begin with? When there are so many unreached people groups out in the world today, and even so many here, in Evanston, in Chicago, that need to hear the gospel. That's why it's encouraging for me and us, I think, to hear from our missionaries today, like Marcus and Lauren, and to be struggling in prayer for them and for our missionaries abroad. I think of Ross and Mary Hunter, Kale Zaug, Renee McLean, the Grootsmachers, the Ericsons, and so many more that serve in full-time and part-time missions. If we believe the gospel to be the truth that people need, let's be praying, supporting, and reaching out to those called into this ministry. They likely need the encouragement to continue in God's gracious mission. I would even consider and encourage you to get involved with our missions committee that meets specifically to think through the ways we can be supporting them and pray as a church. If you're interested, which I hope you are, you can email Danny Russell at danny at ebfchurch.org. And more, let's think about the ways that we can be sharing this truth with others. This week, I actually mentioned to a coworker and a friend, Clem, that I was preaching this weekend, and he asked what I was preaching on. So we, we read the passage. I asked him to summarize it, and then a very interesting conversation ensued where I got to share the gospel. What an amazing opportunity. I would ask that you would pray with me for him that the Spirit would move in his heart and he might be interested to learn more about Jesus and accept him as his Savior. But let's be preaching and giving this truth to others. One more question before we move on. Think for a moment about how you were taught Christ. How were you taught Christ? Maybe it was Bible studies at your church growing up, or maybe you were discipled by an older believer. Did you ever really enroll in the school of Christ? 
Friends, the Christian life is one of continuous learning, but not learning in the way we think of it in America. It's not learning a set of facts and passing the test. It's not about getting into the college or getting the job you want. It is learning by walking with Christ and your brothers and sisters in Him. It is a learning by nearness, a learning by approaching Him. Christ calls us to think about Him in community, to think, learn, and be taught the same old song, the gospel of Christ. We so often forget it. And in learning Him, we serve the church with the gifts He has given us, and yes, serve the community at large as well, and share the truth with them. He calls us to a truth that leads to the cross, self-sacrifice, laying down our lives, our preferences, and our desires to follow Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Only He will ultimately satisfy our hearts and our minds. With the Ephesians, let's remember the way we learned Christ through hearing Christ, being taught in Him, because the truth is only found in Him. So Paul has commanded the Ephesians now to look solemnly at who they once were, to remember the way they learned Christ, and now finally to change the way they walk forward. But let's start back in verse 20 to get the context. They are to change the way they walk forward. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Christ, is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. They heard the gospel of Jesus, and how then were they taught to live? How were they taught to change? Three specific actions Paul mentions here. To put off the old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. To put off your old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. Paul reminds the Ephesians that the gospel call means to put off your old self. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Some translations may say that you have laid aside your old self. But whether it is that they have laid aside the old self already, or they are to put off your old self, the idea is still the same. At conversion to Christ, through his blood on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, the old self is killed and buried with him. One is made new. 
and then is to continue in that newness of life in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it's Paul again saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Romans 6.3, Paul also refers to this newness of life. And in continuing this, because this newness, because they are still in the same fleshly bodies, they must put off the old self. To put off has the sense of putting away. In Matthew 14, verse 3, it is to put away in prison, or better interpreted in this context as putting off a garment of clothing. The clothing being all the ways, thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors which belongs to your former manner of life. Paul here is essentially recapping all the ways we spoke about in verses 17 through 19. And so why should they continue to put off these ways? Because it is corrupt through deceitful desires. It is the opposite of truth. It is deceptive that the natural desires of this world will fulfill you. So the gospel call means to put off the old self. Paul says also then that the gospel call means putting off the old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. To be renewed here is the opposite of the old self being corrupted in verse 22. Rather than the perpetual degradation in Christ, we are built up in the Spirit. It is the nonstop process of the Holy Spirit using God's Word to change not only their thoughts, and, but the spirit of their thoughts. Some say spirit here means kind of the attitude behind the thoughts, but this is truly the human spirit that God gives us which ultimately affects our minds. Frederick Bruce describes it this way. He says this Inward renewal is the work of the Holy Spirit progressively transforming believers into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. So the gospel call to the Ephesians was to be renewed in the spirit of their minds through the Holy Spirit and the Word. And finally, the gospel call means to put off the old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, to put on the new self. Verse 24, it says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We will continue to look at what this new self looks like next week and beyond, but in essence, it is not enough to just take off the old self. Not to be crude here, but if you take off the clothes you're currently wearing, you're, you're going to be naked. <laughs> and you need to put something on in order to not be naked. 
So we must put on the clothes of Christ, clothes that are created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This putting on clothing idea is going to actually come up later in chapter 6, where Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. He's basically saying, prepare yourself for battle. It is, take up your cross and follow me. It is the image of God that was lost in the fall by Adam, but has been regained by Christ and can only be attained through him. It is the new person after God's standard, true righteousness and holiness. More literally, true justice to humans and holiness to God. This is the ultimate difference between humans made in God's image and those who believe in Christ, both equally deserving of dignity and respect, but the believer is striving for a higher calling to God's truth that is ultimately, it is ultimately received in the foreknowledge of God the Father through the completed work of the blood of Christ on the cross through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing we can do on our own. Thus, through Christ's magnificent work in us, we are to put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and put on the new self, created after his likeness and true righteousness and holiness. So remember here, Paul is not saying all of these things for us to look down at non-believers or balk at sin and the death of the world. He is saying that destruction is the default condition of my heart. He's warning them to look full-facedly at sin, to see it for what it is, that this is my condition without Christ. And hopefully it was our condition. I was futile, I was darkened, I was callous and hard of heart, and man, am I still processing through that. I am to look at those non-believers around me, not in pity, but in remembrance that that's not the way I want to live. And God has been amazingly gracious to me to allow me to hear his gospel at all. Through gifted faith in Christ's death, and resurrection. He has taken me out of the pool of destruction and placed me into the light of day and offered me new glorious dry clothes and a community with him and with brothers and sisters to worship, serve him, and continue being sanctified in him. So why would I want to keep those wet clinging clothes on? It is only through him that we and I can now even strive for Christ. And it's not just for myself or my own gain, but for the whole body. 
This is actually a core tenet of our faith. Our statement of faith says it this way in Article 8 concerning Christian living. It says, We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from His sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love Him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion towards the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's Word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. God is building together a multi-ethnic people of his own making for his own glory with Christ as the cornerstone. He is preparing his bridegroom for the final wedding feast. Do you want to be a part of that community? I definitely want to see you being sanctified here in God's grace and ultimately in heaven, robed in white. For now, while we are on this earth, let's solemnly look at who we once were, remember the ways we've learned Christ, and change the ways we walk forward only through His Spirit's power alone. Let's take off the old self that clings so tightly. Let's learn Christ, put on his armor, link arms in Christian fellowship, and fight this battle, walk this life together as one body in Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I preach this word and I've prepared this word, but man, do I still need to hear it. And man, do I still need to have my heart softened towards this. I'm sure that it's not just me. Would you continue to soften our hearts towards you and have us follow you? Have us turn from the old ways of this world because you are greater and the ways that you have appeared to us as miraculous and gracious, something we don't even deserve. Would you, through your spirit alone, convict us to continue learning you, being taught in you, We're grateful, Lord, for your word of truth, the scriptures that you have given us that we can go to and seek out your face. And we're also grateful for Christian community, for brothers and sisters that can point us in the right direction or help turn us around when we need to be turned around. Lord, would you continue to unite us together through your gospel alone? Lord, we worship you and give your name praise above any other name that is named today. We love you, Lord, and it is by your son Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.